Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A-U-N. American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human god to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar, the public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and are not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hey, thanks everyone. Uh, believe it or not, uh, I've missed the last three calls, and I'm thinking about you guys. I was down in Atlanta uh, uh, two weekends ago for our son's uh, collegiate baseball team's opener down there against Georgia Tech and Georgia State and Kennesaw State. The next weekend, we flew down to Houston, Rockin' College Station, for a three-game set against uh, Texas A&M. They won the final. Uh, it's just good weather, much better down in College Station. We were in the deep freeze up here in Chicago again. It was single digits, 11, 10 degrees when I got back. It's now about 28, 29 degrees, but it's falling right now. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned in the pre-show, uh, we had a, a strange death uh, in our extended family. My my niece's husband's only brother, uh, just a few years older than him, passed away tragically uh, of an accident while trying to pick blueberries in a in a machine like a golf cart type of machine that tipped over. I uh, 
can't imagine the, 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 the sorrow and the pain and it was just out there and it's gone on. But the pet riots back, and it's quite timely, Zerantap, because this uh, anti, anti-Semitic commentary pushing back against Representative Omar and all of these people, and, and Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, uh, uh, they advised the attempt to address anti-Semitic uh, uh, thoughts or even words and actions in our, of American government uh, is getting a lot of pushback. So uh, they came out with this plan, kind of across the board, anti-hate document. They had nothing on it uh, that referenced the, the cause of it all, uh, this uh, representative comments. But uh, yes, the Muslim world is boiling over, and yes, they aren't happy with uh, the rise of Zionism in the Middle East. We commented on this for the longest time. But I've been driving around for the last two days just doing uh, very, very strong pushback on Fox and, and these talk radio heads, including Mark Levin, who's on right now tonight. Uh, extremely well-oiled machine to push us back against these things. And, uh, so perhaps you can leave with, with just some comments on that and then go into some of your updated research on this. But uh, it's an interesting time. You there? I, and Hello? You're asking... Are you asking me, uh, Fred? Yeah, yeah. What, 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 well, is my, my apologies, because I have to tell you that <laughs> the, connect, the connection I have um, is good, but at the same okay. time, your, your voice was in and out and in and oh, out and fuzzy. So I don't okay. know. Yeah, I don't know if mine is doing the same thing or if mine's clear. Okay. Uh, you know, I just took my earplugs out because my phone was booted off every time I use these new earplugs. I put you on speaker. Is that better? Yeah, that sounds to be better. Yeah, yeah. You sound good, Patrick. Patrick, you're coming in real good. Okay. Okay, that's great. Well, um, you're telling me I'm up, right? Yeah, just a comment on what's going on in Congress right now. Uh, okay. Representative Omar, these new representatives that, that are in this freshman class are really coming out very strongly anti, uh, anti-conservative pro-left biases, and they're pushing okay. back against Zionism. You, um, you bring up a really interesting uh, issue. I did not have any prepared statement tonight because I was going to do it uh, – uh, I guess I forget what the hell they call it. I've gotten so old, I forget some good words every once in a while. Uh, extemporaneously. Sure. The, um, I've been, I actually have been away from doing any research, any thinking or writing on this subject for about two months, three months. And I only started about maybe the week before you called me, Fred. Okay. And uh, one of the things that was driving me was what's obviously going on in our government and how it's taking place. And I, I, there's so many tentacles for what's taking place. It's very challenging to explain it in a, um, in a straight, linear fashion for people who are listening to understand it. So it gets complicated. And I will apologize in advance for what uh, may be missing links. And if there is a missing link, I would like anybody who hears something and doesn't understand it to jump in 
and get my attention, bring me back, jerk me back to that point that they couldn't make a connection. Um, we, we as a nation are not unique in what we suffer from. This has been going on in nations of the world for over a thousand years. Back in the Ottoman Empire, it began to really take on a, a pitch, a, a more formal uh, pitch. I guess that's around the 1400s. And that, I believe the Rothschilds were there, uh, but under a different name. Bauer was the name uh, from about 1555 forward, and then they changed it to Rothschild in 1700s. But we're dealing, I believe, with one family, one titular-headed family, uh, since about the uh, 1400s, and before then, maybe other groups or um, uh, individuals who have been around since before Christ. I guess to be complex, there's a lot of moving parts, and I really do not want to confuse anybody. This is probably uh, one of the most organized criminal syndicates in the history of mankind. In fact, probably it doesn't even fit. They are. Without a doubt, they are the most organized criminal syndicate in the history of mankind. Rothschild has formulated and put plans together that are, without a doubt, the most complete and the most carefully thought out of any of his predecessors, whether within his family or prior to his family. Because this is a multi, multi, multi-generational criminal syndicate that goes back to the time of Christ, and I firmly believe before, although I have not researched before Christ. How does this affect Pelosi? The reality is, is a direct connection. Pelosi's an Italian woman. She was brought up in uh, Maryland, and I got to looking her up about three weeks ago, and that's part of the why, part of the why that this is extemporaneous because I, I have not, um, uh, I haven't cemented all of this together yet, and I'm not so sure I will be able to. But I watched Pelosi. I think she's suffering from um, onset, early onset dementia. Uh, that's a personal observation, um, and, I, and I would suggest that I'm 100% right. I, will, I leave no room for a mistake on that. And I think she's a desirable candidate for, for uh, doing what she does by those who run our country and run many other nations of the world. Um, they need her there, and they can direct her. Early onset or not early onset, she can take direction. Well, by God, this woman's a Catholic. How in the world can they get such an influence over this woman? Well, it can be a genuine influence. You look her up, you find out that as she lived, when she lived in Maryland, her father was the mayor of Baltimore. More importantly, her father was one of the firmest believers in Zionism and the efforts it was taking at that time to combat anti-Semitism in the 1930s, in the 1940s. Her father was a staunch, staunch advocate of the most militant Zionists who had come over to our country to begin the process, actually second party, probably second generation, to, to begin the process to undermine, undermine our government and all sorts of institutions within our country. 
Okay. I set the stage. We dissect Pelosi. And a footnote to those statements, I would say to anybody who is listening, who's interested in what's going on in our country and how it attaches to a singular force, meaning Rothschild and Zionism, you need to look at the pedigree of all of the people you become interested in. And it doesn't make a damn bit of difference if they're Jewish or if they're Christian, Catholic, or even Muslims. I personally have a prejudice against Muslims because of some of the things they believe in as a group, a large group, and they don't talk about it, even the moderate Muslims. The disadvantage that women are put to or put at within their culture is abominable. I mean, it, um, it's, it's the same disadvantage that I guess we as the Irish put women to or put women at back in the 1950s, but on steroids. At least an Irish woman could look at her husband when he was drinking and say, all right, Jimmy, that's it. Put it down. You're finished. And Tim would put his beard down and go to bed and very humbly disappear from the room. And women had more power than anybody ever wanted to admit in those days. A Muslim woman has actually no power, although I have seen the moderation or the moderate Muslim where a woman does seem to have authority and does seem to have power. But on a general level, Muslims disparage women to a degree beyond, uh, I guess, common sense or belief or anything that could be discussed. But aside from those exceptions, I think the Muslim faith is a disaster. And myself, I have some racial prejudices, if we want to call them racial. So anti-Semitism is one of the things that I started to look into in uh, August of 2005. 2005. I am a New Yorker. I confess to that. I had a Jew for a partner. He was a good guy. But he was an interesting man. He was always suggesting I indebt myself to country club dues, an expensive car, loans that I didn't need. I could never understand why Stevie did that. And as I look back, I, the only thing I ever succumbed to was a country club membership when I could afford it. But Stevie always made a point of going into debt. And it was one of those little nuances to our lives that we, we throw in the corner of our mind and we never forget. And it pops back and forth to our consciousness when we see things that remember to us uh, those days compared to what we may be doing today. Stevie had another interesting uh, trait besides being a partner in one of my businesses. Stevie married an heir to a large fortune lived in Garden City. And as my partner in the 1970s and 80s, he might have made 100000 which was a good living in those days. But this woman had millions either in her family or she would be the heir to. So he did marry her, had two lovely little kids, and celebrated Christmas beyond my wildest dreams. And I used to kid him. And I said to him, Stevie, you do Christmas better than I do 100 times over. I said, where is your Hanukkah bush, as we used to joke about it in those days. Now, I'm jumping around. I hope the folks that are listening tonight can follow this. It will all come together. Trust me. Please trust me. 
Stevie keep going, keep going. Day. All right. Stevie looked at me that day, and he says, Hanukkah? Hanukkah is a made-up holiday. I said, what are you talking about? That we made Hanukkah a nothing event in the history of, of the Jews, a big important thing so we could compete with Christmas. At that time, Christmas wasn't as profound to me to, as it is today. I didn't think of it as the birth date of the most important human being at the time in the history of the world ever. I didn't look at it the proper way. And I just brushed it off, but I do remember him saying, it's a made-up holiday to compete with Christmas. Now, it's not made up. The event was they ran out of oil, and somehow or another, through miracle or otherwise, or humidity in the air, or somebody with olive oil in their purse, the candles stayed lit for the seven or eight days to do whatever they were supposed to do and got accomplished so that Hanukkah became a holiday. But it was no big deal. Yes, they did create it. And if you were there at the time Hanukkah became a deal, you were there when Kwanzaa became a deal, and a number of other cultural holidays became a deal, strictly at the time of Christ's birth. All of a sudden, we weren't, we weren't celebrating Christmas anymore. We were celebrating a holiday. Now, I'm going to digress. I'll come back on track in a few minutes. Um, I got really pissed off about this about four years ago. And I was trying to find a way to let my vent my anger. And I'm standing at the checkout counter at our local supermarket, a large chain. And this pretty young girl, maybe 22, looks at me and she says, happy holidays. Well, I was like Michael J. J. Fox when they said, are you chicken? The hair in the back of my neck came up. My brain came on fire, got to go on fire. And it must have been six or seven people in a line behind me. And I hate holding people up, but I said, no, I'm going to hold them up. And I looked at her and I said, with all due respect, my dear, I said, Christmas is not a holiday. Hanukkah is a fucking holiday. And it celebrates a celebration of the people who, in fact, killed the man who we celebrate Christmas for. Well, needless to say, her jaw dropped, my jaw dropped, because the words came out of my mouth without too much of forethought. And I watched, I really, because I've been in sales all my life, so you always look at the faces and the eyes and the expressions of people in the room or who you're addressing to get the sense of where they're at with your presentation. And I'm looking at this line of four or five people, and I'm seeing a great deal of delight, except for the one woman directly behind me, probably in her 60s, a couple of years, maybe 10 years younger than me. And she tugs on my elbow, and she says, I'll have you know, I'm Jewish. And I thought about that for a quick second, and I remembered the movie Will Smith was in, Fourth of July, and they were all pent up trying to figure out how to get this other spaceship up in, into the air. And Will Smith said to the Jewish guy next to him, says, well, I don't celebrate Hanukkah or Mazel Tov or whatever it was. He said, he says, I'm a Christian. And the Jew said to him, that's okay, nobody's perfect. I looked down at this little woman who just claimed she was Jewish and possibly, if not probably, offended. And I said to her, that's okay, Bubba. Nobody's perfect. I said, happy holiday. Packed up my bags and I moved out of the store. 
And I felt so satisfied. I tell that story maybe twice or three times a year. I don't know if it came across the proper way, but it sticks with me. <laughs> Hanukkah. 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 Hanukkah was designed to diminish Christmas because the, the people who run the syndicate that are rampant in our government and outside of our government today want to diminish Jesus Christ. They made a statement back in 1897 in the protocols of the learned elders of Zion that they would rip the heart, literally bore into the heart of the Catholic, not didn't say Christian, the Catholic Church, and they wouldn't come out until it collapsed. That was done in August of 1897. Now, I'm writing on this now. I'm actually incorporating this a group of what we would call protocols into the front of my my book, which is really dedicated to 9-11. And I've got to find a way to cement all of this for you together. In in 2005, in August of 5, everything I touched was a Jew. It was an old Jew, a dead Jew, a live Jew, a young Jew, a historical Jew, a not-so-historical Jew, a great Jew, or a really rotten Jew. Everything came up Jewish. I was in the research probably at that time, maybe two or three years. I'm a New Yorker. Anti-Semitism is the third rail of any civil discourse. And I said, if I'm going to write a book, and at that time it sincerely was not a book, it is now, I need to make sure that no one jumps all over me for being anti-Semitic. I'm not anti-Semitic. I hate everybody equally. If you screw me, cheat me, lie to me, steal money from me, or do anything, I don't care if you're an Irishman, you're a filthy mick. If you're an Italian, you're a dirty guinea. If you're a Jew, you're a filthy, dirty, rotten Jew. And it's one of those things we grew up with when I grew up in the 50s. And at the end of the day, when we fought over ethnicities, we all patted each other on the back and went out for a drink or a beer. There was no hostility, really. We've been separated. We've been balkanized by our legal system. And what's happened is anti-Semitism has been built to be a wonderful camouflage. Is that the fear of being branded in the public arena an anti-Semite as whatever her name is, Omer, and she's not afraid of it, because by the way, she's telling the truth. She hasn't lied whatsoever, but she doesn't know she's not anti-Semitic. She doesn't know what she really is. But in the 1950s, you didn't give a rat's patootie about any of that. You cursed each other out. You called each other all sorts of ethnic names and slurs, whether it was a nigger. Well, you really probably didn't say nigger too often, but occasionally we did. You still palled with these people. These were good people you palled around with. And as much as you might fight and call each other a terrible name, you were friends. Today, that no longer is the case. Our legal system, our laws, and I want you to pay attention to the, the weapons, the tools that I'm giving you that are being used against us. Our laws have been changed so that you can't speak to people in a plain, common sense method. Imagine if we were to say, or a black man got up in front of Fox television and say, those damn niggers ruin everything for the black people. Well, you know, that's true, because those niggers do. 
they're out there. They have been given more than a trillion dollars. They have been integrated, but they have refused to be educated or assimilated. Nobody talks about that. And no one is willing to talk about it because it's become law. You cannot speak about a race in that way. Otherwise, you will be charged with a discriminatory crime. That was threatened by Natty Rothschild in 1897 in Basel, Switzerland in August at the first World Zionist Congress in the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion. It's a tract. It's a booklet. I have a copyright of 1922. I have a copyrighted copy of the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion. Now, why am I stretching into 1922? 1922 was about six, five, eight years before the Depression. The copyright book I have talks about the Depression. It threatens the Depression. It was the book that Henry Ford referred to when he passed out millions of folders to people in his Ford dealerships about the protocols of the learned elders of Zion. But he didn't read read it like I do because I was a student. When I picked it up, I was a student of our Federal Reserve that was formed in 1913 and defaulted not bankrupted, defaulted in 1927. The book I have, copyright, is 1922. It's five years before the threat Natty Rothschild made in 1897. Crash the markets. Bankrupt the country. That's what they did throughout the world, not just in the United States. So we're jumping around a lot. Jumping around and anti-Semitism is in the middle of it. Anti-Semitism is wonderful. If you're a member, the sinister confederacy among the Jews that Winston Churchill wrote about in the London Daily Herald in 1920, he said, Bolshevism versus Zionism. And he went on at great length in a very short two-page column to talk about those Russians that were, in fact, doing what they did in the Russian Revolution that failed in 1905 and then succeeded in 1917. Henry Ford had a book dated 1922, only five years after the beginning of the Second Revolution, Russian Revolution that actually succeeded, that was threatened. In 1897, in Basel, Switzerland, in the form of 24 lectures given to about 300 to 400 men, no women, at the First World Zionist Congress. When you begin to dissect the protocols of the learned elders of Zion, and you see how intense and how emphatic it is about using debt to take over a nation for the purpose of using its military, how Law would be converted and adopted and perverted to take over the culture of a nation. How media would be overrun, how it would be taken down to be used exclusively to sell. 
certain perverse life lifestyles to the youth of a country, to destroy the, the, the core of a nation, to talk about same-sex marriage. In 1897, Natty Rothschild gave 24 lectures, each and every one of them focused on a different element of warfare. Warfare. How to begin a war. How to set one nation at another. How to create division within a nation. And now we look at Omer and her anti-Semitic remarks. In one of my newsletters back over a year ago, I made it very clear. Not one member of Congress, and I've told this on this show, not one member of our Congress gets elected the first time without first making a gratuitous trip to Israel. Not one single person does not go to Israel before they're elected. Not one, except Donald Trump. But his daughter's now a Jew. She converted and she's an Israeli citizen. Is that meaningful? I don't think so. Not looking at how he's continued to be attacked because they're scared shitless of this man. But going back to Omar's anti-Semitism, she's right. There is a dual citizenship alive and well in our country's offices of power. And no, it doesn't come out and say, we might do this, we got to do that, we should do this, Israel this, Israel. They never daily do that, never dare do that. Rothschild made it very clear in the 24 protocols of the learned elders of Zion. He made it very clear, we'll never be seen touching the element of decision. We'll always be one and two and three people behind will be nudging it. Never will anybody be able to point a finger at the true aureole of power, us Jews. And he did use the word Jews when in fact was accurate and at the same time misleading. In August of 05, I realized I came across all these Jews that were involved in what I was doing. Happy Jews, sad Jews, suicidal Jews, powerful Jews, intelligent Jews, historical, all the Jews of mankind. And that was August. And I said, I have to start something and I have to research something. I have to stop my research on 9-11. I have to stop my research on the protocols of the learned elders of Zion. And I have to research one word. On August of 06, I'm sorry. August of 05, and I've told this story before on the show, but I began to research just the one word of Jew. What a fascinating study. Holy shit. Put it in street vernacular back in the Bronx of the 50s. Holy shit. What an education. I went nowhere with it. I couldn't come up to a conclusion. I have some disabled family members. I think it was Ash Wednesday, an early Ash Wednesday, which is telling because of this week and and, and appropriate. Because I do remember it was February, and I believe it was Ash Wednesday. If it wasn't, it was a Wednesday close to Ash Wednesday. My wife said to me, we're going to Mass. And I looked at her and I said, why? It's not that I'm a holy roller. It's not that I'm a bad Catholic, a good Catholic. I'm just not a real big churchgoer. But she said, we're going to Mass for the boys. 
I looked at it and I couldn't argue. I said, okay, I'll go to Mass. In the back of my mind, I'm saying, it's a half hour, it's not a full hour. I can be in and out real fast. <laughs> and uh, I can just, I can rest. I can think about my subject matter, which in fact she hated. Father Joe gets up in front. He does his shtick really quick. He's got the cassock on. He's a Franciscan. He's got the sandals on. He's six foot four. He's 285 pounds. He likes to eat. And he stands up there after the gospel. And I'm now sitting down while he's doing the homily. And I'm in and out of his homily. And I'm thinking about my research on the word Jew. And I'm thinking about my research on the word Jew. And it's inconclusive, but I think I've learned a lot. Taking me back to the Russian Revolution of 05 that failed, 17 that succeeded, um, where the Jews came from, how the Der Stern Gang and the Ergun basically were the major terrorist organizations in Israel in the 1920s, and how they raided and killed Palestinian villagers, how they chased them out of the villages, how they tore down all of the buildings, how they destroyed the what was the equivalent of the county clerk office, and they burned all the land records. Because Palestinians were not Arabs. People don't know that. Arabs were the owners of the land in Palestine, and the Palestinians were called the niggers of the Middle East. The Irish were the niggers of Europe. And the three of us as niggers have one thing in common. We all wound up being tenant farmers. The Palestinians were tenant farmers on Arab lands. They were not Arabs. So, listen to the homily. I hope I'm not moving around too far in a field for you. I'm listening to Father Joe's homily, and he says, and the Hebrews did do 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 And I'm listening, I'm saying, yeah, the Hebrews did do that. And in the next sentence, he says, and these Jews traveled with it to do to do to them. Well, he must have said Hebrews three or four times, and he must have said Jews five or six times. And a light bulb went off in my head. I'm doing five months of research from August all the way to this February. Was that five or six months? I'm there under, let's say, conditions that I didn't like. I was forced to go to Mass. And all of a sudden, I'm now focusing on the good priest up on the altar doing a homily with the Jews and the Hebrews in his discussion. And it was in the Gospel. And a light bulb goes off in my head, and I'm saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's a question here. And I've worked with lawyers all my life. I barely got out of high school, as I said before. But I worked with lots of very intelligent and educated people. And one lawyer one time left me with the understanding, he says, it's not, it's not the answers that you have in any court, whether you have a, a trial over this, that, or the other thing, he says, the the real success of a lawyer is being able to shape the question properly. And he took me through a building. I, I was in a building. I had sold an $80,000 conference table. There must have been 25 lawyers in this glass-surrounded room in the 1970s or 80s. And he says, we've been in there for six days. He says, you know what we're doing? And I says, no, I just, I didn't know. He says, we're trying to shape two questions. If we can impeach these bastards, we've won a, a case for about $800 million, whatever it was. And I looked at him. I says, what do you mean? He says, the, the, the key in a successful case is not knowing the answers to questions. It's having the right question. Well, I remembered that. 
And I'm listening to Father Joe talk about the Jews and the Hebrews. Question came into my mind. I said, oh, my God. So Mass was over on its half-hour queue. My wife heads for the door, and I head for the sacristy in the back. She says, where are you going? I said, I got a question for Father Joe. And she knew my, my area of interest, and she said, oh, I, 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 she didn't want anything to do with it. I go in the back. I get Father Joe. He's six foot four or five. I just know he's a lot taller and a hell of a lot bigger than I was. I am. And I went in, introduced myself, and I said, Father, I said, this is, I'm, I'm Patrick Wyatt. I said, and I, I have a theological question for you. And the woman is putting the hosts away and the wine away. I could hear her. And over the years, you develop when you're in sales and marketing all your life, you pick up an intuitiveness of the people around you. Some people you can pick up better than others, but you pick it up. I could feel this woman thinking. And I said, I have a theological question. So the three of us are in the sacristy. She's not too far away. And I, I could feel she slowed down, and her brain is now wanting to eavesdrop. He's taking his cassock off. He says, well, you've hit the jackpot. He says, I'm the theologian. I'm the theological scholar for Cardinal so-and-so in such-and-such archdiocese. I looked at him, and I said, wonderful. And by the way, all of this is relative to what's going on in Congress today. Today, if you can follow it. So I said, wonderful. I said, you know, Father, I said, Jesus Christ came to earth. He was a Hebrew. And he looks at me, and he says, well, yes, we all know that. That's not a good question. I said, well, that's not my question. I said, more importantly, the Hebrews were divided into sects with a T on it, not an X. He says, and I said to him, you had the Maccabees, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. I said, Jesus Christ was a Pharisee. The priest looks down at me again. He says, you're right on. I said, if we go to Webster's and we look up the word Pharisee, we find a number of definitions. Down at the bottom, it says hypocrite. Do as I say, not as I do. They were the lowest form of life. They were thieves. They were rapists. They were misogynists. They were anything but good men. I said they were terrible. And they were the leadership. And if any reason that Jesus came to earth, it was because of these men. But Jesus was one of them. He was a Pharisee. And he looked down. He says, well, I didn't know it meant hypocrite. And he said, but okay. He says, I'm with you. He says, what's your question? I said, well, if we look back at the beginning of time in the New Testament at zero years, or if you will, A.D., we find that Jesus was predominantly, if nothing else, a Jew. Says, That's true, I said, and he was a Pharisee. I said, he was not a Jew, Father, he was a Hebrew. Uh, Father Joe looks at me and says, well, that's semantics. I said, he says, what's the difference? I said, well, the difference is as follows. If the word Jew wasn't in the lexicon of any language of the world until approximately 440 or 460 A.D., please tell me when the Hebrews, how the Hebrews, why the Hebrews became known as the Jews. Well, his eyes glistened over. 
and he realized he'd had a tough question given to him. But immediately he launches into a, well, you have to understand, the rabbis traveled a lot. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Father. I said, at the time of Jesus Christ, we didn't know of rabbis. They were all priests and high priests. But they were not rabbis. Jesus was never a rabbi. He was never a teacher as a rabbi might be included or called to be a teacher. He was, if anything, maybe a priest, but he wasn't even a priest. But there were priests in those days, and they were not known as rabbis. Well, good father, Joe, he looks at me, he says, you know, he says, I stand corrected, and I'm embarrassed. He says, there weren't any rabbis. He said, they were priests. And then he launches into, and they traveled, and they traveled. They got on horses. They went from one community. And by the way, they did all of this, and they were the first known circuit judges. You have to understand, all of what we face today in our courts with judges came from the time of Christ and those Hebrews. Those were circuit court judges. Those priests traveled, and they traveled to administer to people, and they traveled to deal with uh, their problems, and most importantly, they served as judges. Well, the good priest, he launches into this little thing, and he goes on for 90 seconds. They travel, went community back, but they took their horses and bada 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 And this woman is listening. I can feel her listening in the back. She's putting the hosts away in a line. This is all taking place in probably the space of uh, 90 seconds. And I've stretched it out further than I should right now. And he finishes with a flourish. And he says, and that's why the Jews, the Hebrews became known as the Jews. And I looked at him for a split second, and I looked up at him. I said, Father, it's a good thing we're both Irish. And he said, why? I said, because it would take another Irishman to bullshit an Irishman as well as you just attempted with me right now. Well, the woman in the back putting the host away started to laugh. And we waited a few seconds for him to answer. He didn't give me an answer right away. He took a little bit of a pregnant pause, and he said, was it that obvious? And I came back at him quickly. I said, like a fart in a two-man elevator, Father. I said, you did not answer the question. He says, I've never been asked that question before. So I said, well, I know you, you like a good meal, and Father Fausto is down at another parish that we frequent also. And my wife and I would be glad to take you to so-and-so's restaurant, and we'll have a feast when you can answer that question. That was in February of 2006. And I left church that morning as proud as a peacock and totally stumbling around. Proud as a peacock because what I had uncovered, the Jews are not the Hebrews. The Jews were never the Hebrews. Now, I have to tell you, I've, I've done focus groups, which is a study of how well a product might sell to its market by bringing in dozens of its market and asking their opinions of it. And I've done surveys on this by doing with Jews, let's say, when they decided I was anti-Semitic, I looked at them and I said, well, how can that offend you? You're not a Semite. I get an indignant look, and I'm talking about probably seven times over the course of the past 12 years. Not a lot, but enough to know I'm absolutely correct. And my answer comes back and says, well, why would that bother you? You're not a Semite. You're a Jew. And the answer comes back and says, well, and I come back and I'd say, you're a Russian. You don't have a drop of Semitic blood in your veins. 
That's one of the biggest secrets that's out there. It's one of the biggest scams ever executed on mankind in the history of mankind. Jews are not Semites. They came around 400 and some odd years later, but they came from Russia. They didn't come from Palestine or from the Middle East. They would have us believe they did, but they didn't. Not a drop of Semitic blood, whether it's Adam Schiff, Rod Rosenstein, um, any of these people whose names we hear on a daily basis in Congress. They are not Semites. So what I want to do is bring you back a little bit. Why is the Democrat Party softening its position on including this woman's name and and anti-Semitism as a whole? Why are they doing that? Because I happen to know that leadership in this group of Jews has found out that they're close to being exposed and they do not want any gross investigation they don't know they do not want anybody looking into semitism they do not want anybody to go and uncover what i've just given you in the past 15 minutes jews are not semites semite by definition is somebody that speaks one of the five aramaic languages and or hebrew to be sure jews do and often have the ability to speak Hebrew. However, that's bit by education and real people who are believing they are their ancestors of the Hebrews. But for the most part, Jews are very, very articulate with Yiddish. Yiddish is not Hebrew. Yiddish was a secret language used by Rothschild in communicating across the channel. More specifically, he knew a day in advance before Napoleon, or before it was announced that Napoleon had lost to Wellington. That's when he took over the Bank of England by appearing to sell his bonds, when he, in fact he was buying them all up at a fraction of their values, 20 minutes to an hour later. Now I'd move far, far, far afield on you. The 24 Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion where you go into the 21st protocol, you'll find in the third paragraph a threat by Rothschild. And in the 21st protocol, you'll see on one and one-half pages, you will see the basis for the regulations that were designed and put into force in 1910 on Jekyll Island by Paul Warburg and eventually into the regulations that became the Federal Reserve Act on December 23, 1913. The 21st Protocol of the Learned Elders of Zion deals exclusively with the formation of the United States Federal Reserve as the central bank, which Rothschild was trying to put into force twice before Lincoln, again successfully in 1913, is the Federal Reserve System Act. And in the third paragraph, he threatened to rig the bids to the debt, and they did. They rigged it by regulation. And in 1991, my client, 
in New York, Solomon Brothers got caught rigging the bids for the debt that was handled through the Federal Reserve every day of the week. Solomon Brothers was the exclusive bidder, and still is, but no longer by that name. There's a new name out there. But they were the exclusive bidder wherever you were in the world. If you wanted to buy U.S. bonds, U.S. T-bills, you had to bid your winning bid, which would be the lowest interest rate, and you bid it through Solomon Brothers, and those bids were rigged. They were always rigged. Because when a country can borrow at an extremely low rate, they borrow more and more and more, so much so that eventually they will be borrowing money just to pay the interest, which is where our country is. And the language I just gave you is identical to the language in the 21st Protocol in 1897. They will borrow so much and be so far in debt, they'll have to borrow to pay the interest. That language is in that same protocol. Now, you have to go to 1920 to understand what happened to me about seven years ago. Seven years ago in 2012, I'm still fumbling around trying to figure out just what this, what this circumstance is that surrounds the word Jew. God, God, got it. I'm going to be declared anti-Semitic, and I'm not anti-Semitic, and I don't like somebody defining me when I am not what they define me as. So I got a hold of an article from Winston Churchill in 1920 called Bolshevism versus Zionism. And within that article, it became crystal clear inside of five minutes. Winston Churchill knew something he didn't understand. He understood that there is a syndicate of Jews amongst the Jews, hidden using the Jews as a camouflage. Every time we say something anti-Semitic or against the Jews, we're declared to be an anti-Semite, and anti-Semitism has been developed into a very effective defensive camouflage weapon, a cloaking device, a wonderful, effective cloaking device. He said, did he say that? Did she say that? She's anti-Semitic. Well, you know, uh, what about Louis Afanisi over there? He's a Democrat. He was talking about the mafia. Like, oh, mob, what's that got to do with anything? Well, the mafia are Italians. Well, so what? Well, when he talks about the mafia, isn't he talking about all of the Italians? Of course not. All the Italians aren't members of the mafia. What has failed to materialize in the last 60 years is the fact that the Jews are not bad people. They're, in fact, incredible people. They are not a people they never were a people and that's now been proven by one of their own zionist jews shlomo sand who saved my butt in 2008 because i'm not educated to have a good cb and can go out and tell everybody that the jews are not the hebrews he did he called it in his book of 2008 when it was translated into english in october of eight the invention of the jewish people and he is a history professor, a tenured professor of history at the University of Tel Aviv. <coughs> Shlomo became a pariah. He also proves beyond a shadow of a doubt the creation of the Jewish people never happened. 
he basically writes in his study, his area of study is the creation of peoples, civilizations. He goes on resoundingly in his book and subsequent books to demonstrate the Jews are not a people. And they, they do all come from Russia. They don't come from Palestine. Rothschild did a magnificent bait and switch in the 1700s. And much Rothschild wound up putting the word Jew into our Bibles. If you go back in the Bible to the 15 and 1400s, guess what? You're not going to find the word Jew. Didn't exist. No Hebrews. You may have to go back to the 7th century. I don't know. But the Jews, the word Jew didn't come around until around 444, 60 A.D. So if we know that the, the word Jew wasn't around until 400 years after Christ died, how could Christ have been a Jew? He couldn't have been. Well, people say, look at, this, look at the thing on the top of the cross. Jesus, king of the Jews. No, it doesn't say that. It's called the titular, by the way. And it's um, I for Jesus, uh, N for Nazareth, or Nazareth, Nazareth. So it says Jesus of Nazareth. And then it says R, I-N-R-I. It says Rex. Jesus of Nazareth, King, and then it says, I again, Iudorum. Jesus, King of the Jews. No, it doesn't say that at all. It says, I-N-R-I. The word king wasn't around at that time in Latin. didn't come around until way after Jesus' death when the Greeks and the Greek language became incorporated into what was going on in the civil, civilized world. I, I can't be more articulate about that. I wish I could be. But the word rex did not mean king. You and I would believe it did in Latin, and it didn't. It did not. It was leader. And it meant Jesus of Nazareth, leader of Judea, which was what he was declared to be by the king who killed him. What was the name of the king that killed Jesus? He sent him Pontius to Pilate. Pontius Pilate. So he was given that title by Pontius Pilate. When he cut loose the other bandit and he, he crucified Jesus at the wishes of, and guess who the wishes were? The Pharisees, the chief priests, the high priests of the Hebrew sect known as the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead because he was a competitor to their money, to their deals, to their success. They wanted him out of the way. And an interesting makeup of this is you go to when Jesus threw the money lenders out of the temple. You all know that. It's in the Bible, isn't it? What is Rothschild accused of doing? <laughs> he lends money. He really is a warrior, though. He makes war. And the reason Rothschild and the family Rothschild makes war is to force the leaders of the nations who go to war to borrow money. Very clever. He creates his own business. He creates his own client base. Rothschild's not a banker. Rothschild's wealth didn't come from banking. It came from his ability to start war. 
But if you go all the way back to Jesus Christ in the temple, and when he threw out the, the money lenders, they were, they were lending money so that people could buy a dove sacrifice on behalf of somebody they were sacrificing an animal for. They were selling sheep and birds. And that was what the money lenders were doing in the, in the, in the church at the time of Jesus Christ. All of this, you need to drill down. It's not hard to do. And you start to associate different occupations, different names, different language, different words. And you start to realize nothing we believe is true. Everything we have been told, however, is true. It's just that we have to understand it better because it's a lot different than how we've been told it is. The Jews are really all Russians. All of them, all of them, every single one of them. And every time I've taken a Jew that accuses me of being an anti-Semite, I look at them and I say, what does it bother you for? You're not a Semite. And I get indignant and I say, come on, you haven't got a drop of Semitic blood in your veins. You're a Russian. Your family are Russian. You're from Russia. You've never stepped foot on any sand in the Middle East. You don't speak any of the Aramaic languages. How good is your Hebrew? And I can do that really fast in one sentence and they look at the ground in shame. They hide their face from me. So what you're looking at taking place today is Miss Pelosi has disappeared from the scene because she is sympathetic to and she's basically under the control of Zionists who in fact grabbed her father 50, 60 years ago and had control over him. However, she's a useless fool is what she is. She's a useless fool. She is not a Zionist. She has no idea the damage that she's doing, but she's doing their bidding. And their bidding right now is, let's not be too quick with this anti-Semitism stuff, because if we get too many people looking underneath this thing, we're liable to be found out that we're not really Hebrews. We don't want, we don't want it exploded on us. That's what's taking place in our government today. But the, the really terrible part is the, the, I forget what we call it now, the, the deep state. The deep state, when I thought about this a couple, maybe about two months ago, if you're, if you're taking a nation over, as, as we have been taken over, if you're taking the nation over, what do you do first? Well, you integrate your people into all the judges that you can get them to. And the way our system is set up, that's not easy because our parties, our parties flip and flap back and forth. So the Democrats are under the control of, uh, let's say, communistic ideals and also under the control of, of uh, this sinister confederacy among the Jews, not the Jews. And you have a lot of Jews doing the bidding of this confederacy, by the way, unknowingly and unwittingly. And you have an awful lot of regular Americans, Irish Americans, Italian Americans doing their bidding too because as a philosophy goes, they join the philosophy and they just do something instinctively and they're doing the work of these people. But when you, when you step back and you, you look at all of what's happening, uh, you have a lot of useful idiots out there and our country, when it takes a country over, the first area you go into to take power, take strong, strong power, is the intelligence agencies. That's our CIA, 
because now they know all of what's going on throughout the world, and they know it clandestinely. Our government is there receiving the information, to be sure, but their government, their apparatus is learning all of it simultaneously. And the FBI, the FBI has long ago been taken over. Comey, Comey's not a Zionist, but Comey does the Zionist bidding because that's who he feels he's got to look up to. Does he know he's doing it for the Zionists? Absolutely not. He thinks he's doing it for cause. Is he innocent? No, he's stupid. Is he guilty? Kind of, but he's more stupid than he's guilty. And he's not a dumb guy. He's a lawyer, he's educated, but he's stupid. And the reason being is that emotions run most people's lives. Most people's lives are run by emotions. They're not run by logic. And especially when you get to the Democrat side of the equation. Questions? Yeah. Hey, hey. Pat, uh, thank you for that uh, wonderful last last hour. Uh, the, the way you connect uh, phrases and history and words and experiences all together in one fluid presentation, just expertly done. Uh, I thank you. I, I want a lot of credit for that because it was grossly. It was grossly extemporaneous, and I had two drinks about three hours ago. No, so it was it was a great deal of luck in there too. Let me tell you that. If if no, you are if you're on the level, I don't know if you're on a level of just giving being nice to me. No, no, no. you have a way with words, and I don't mean that. It, 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 you know, uh, it, it's not. Okay. But we have we have someone else who wants to chime in here. I, I had a question to go ahead. I heard somebody else chattering in the background. You're getting, you're getting, uh, Fred, you're getting all garbled up again, too, by the way. Can you hear me? I can. Is this you? Yes, I have a question. Um, I've come to the conclusion that um, those Jews, the inner Jews, are Shabbat rabbis. Are Chabad rabbis. I I don't know. And, um, I, you know, to me, it's, it's irrelevant. Uh, this is a group of people that communicate. If you go back to Joe McCarthy, Joe McCarthy felt he had uncovered a communist uh, plot, and he did, by the way. Yeah. Does anybody remember who turned into his right-hand man? It's you. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cole. Mm-hmm. The, the gay, the gay, the gay caballero, the gay lawyer. He was a lawyer. He worked. Mm-hmm. He worked for the Rothschild, if you will, sinister confederacy. So these guys, they are not religious at all. They don't believe in a God. Uh, they hate Jesus Christ. They hate Catholics. So it's not Christianity as much as it's Catholicism they're afraid of. So when you say they're Shabbat Jews or anything else, I, I, I don't know, but I'm going to tell you I disagree. Um, I don't believe they even come close to even using language that would even get them close to religion. The Jew is not a religious belief or experience. The Jew is a hereditary situation, and it's not even a race. That's one of the other interesting things. And you can't attack a roach in your home successfully unless you can tell people what it is you want to kill. So you can't, we can't attack this group unless we can define who they are. Um, Giuliani said it beautifully back in the 70s. He said, we were chasing these mobsters, 70s and 80s, actually. He said, we were chasing these mobsters around the country, left and right. 
We knew they were organized from the meeting that took place up in the Adirondacks in New York in 1967 or thereabouts, maybe it was 57. He said, we knew they were organized, but they were just mobsters. He says, they were all Italians. But part of us said, we know all the Italians are not members, but it seems to be a very organized group. So nobody understood the mafia until very late on in the 60s. Once they put a name on the mafia, they could go after the mafia. This is the same problem we have today with Rothschild soldiers. These people are soldiers, but they're in plain clothes. They're in suits. They drive Mercedes. They're bankers. They're bond makers because they use bonds. They use performance bonds to bring companies and countries to their knees. They know how to create these weapons of death, weapons of monetary destruction. They're, they're brilliant at it. There's no guns. There's no brass knuckles or knives. There's no cannons. There's no planes. There's no military uniforms. These people walk amongst us like one of us. They're friends. We have dinner with them. We'll never know. And they have a communication system. We don't know what it is. Does our government know how they communicate? I don't believe they do. I don't believe our government does. But our agencies have been taken over by them. That is the deep state. We can give it a better name than that. Until we do, we're just going to run in circles. The reason why I asked that question is because I've been listening to them a lot. And uh, also, things like uh, President uh, Trump and all the way down to Ronald Reagan always met with the Chabad uh, rabbis. In the Oval well, when you, say, when you say Shabbats, what are you talking about? I, define the word Shabbats as you mean it. C-H-A-D-B-A-D-S. I guess they're connected to the cabal. They do teach some uh, reincarnation and, and that, but they teach it in a way that um, the Jewish soul, you know, gets reborn, goes to heaven. You always mention the Jewish soul um, because they don't believe any of us will, you know. I don't know your name, but that's okay. I don't oh, subscribe yeah. to that. I don't subscribe to that. I, I would tell you Zionism, Zionism as a whole is organized against all of the interests of all the countries of the world and all of humanity. And Zionist, Zionism, not, not, not uh, Judaism or anything that's related mm-hmm. to Shabbat Jews or other Jews or Orthodox Jews, I would suggest Zionism. Now, within Zionism, you have levels. You have Zionists that have no clue about what Zionism is actually doing throughout the world. And the more that that can be clouded by a mixture of, let's say, honorable Zionists with those who are not, the more successful they will be. But when we try or attempt to say it's a group of Jews, it's within, it's within the religious group of Jews here or there, I think what we do is ourselves a disservice. Judaism is a kind of a half-assed cult, just like we might believe, many of us might believe that uh, Muslims are a cult. You know, there are real believers within the Islamic faith. There are real believers within the Judaism faith, if we want to call it that. But they're all a minority. They're really a minority. Now, the, the Zionists are, as a large part, are doing what they do to undermine the nations of the world. They do false flags. Their people in the financial industries throughout our nation at the very least create performance bonds. 
Now, you may or may not know what a performance bond is. It's a bond that performs, and if it fails, something bad happens. So if you know it's going to fail, you get on the other side of the bad thing. 9-11 caused a performance bond to fail. The performance bond was invented in 1978 through 1981 by Michael Milken of Drexel Burnham Lambert, one of my clients in New York. Michael Milken was taking over Solomon Brothers building, or did take over where Solomon Brothers wound up being. Michael Milken and Drexel Burnham Lambert built, had Building 7 built for them in 1991. And about the same time, Michael Milken got caught doing bad things by our government, and they sent him to camp Ed, for three years. He's now a philanthropist for prostate people. But when Drexel Burnham Lambert went out of business, my client, Solomon Brothers, came in and took over all of Building 7. Well, Solomon Brothers had been rigging the bids to the Federal Reserve debt since 1935. And it wasn't any different in 2001. Building 7 was one of the reasons for 9-11. It wasn't one of the results of 9-11. That building had to come down because of the history that was in that building, not to mention all of the agencies they'd moved into it in the year previous to 9-11. So this is a syndicate of criminals. It, it can't be isolated as a group within a religion. It's just not going to happen as much as our instinct may say otherwise, with, with all due respect. Uh, any other questions? Yeah, we got Sam. Sam, you there? Unmute yourself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, hey, Patrick, uh, I want you to analyze what's going on in the Middle East. We invaded Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Syria, Yemen, and we're, the Jews, Israel wants us to attack Iran, and also uh, we haven't attacked Lebanon yet. Uh, what is your take on all this going on in the Middle East now? Well, if you were Israel, would you want to do it, or would you rather have the United States do it for you? Yeah, rather the United. Well, they're you, you, you having the United States. Yeah, I know that. What, what is your take? What's your, what's your eventual outcome? Eventual outcome? I don't yeah. know. If if I do what I am inclined to be doing right now, I'm afraid for all of us because yeah. the, the we're 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 chained right now. Right now, there's a great Greek sculpture, probably done in the, uh, oh, I don't know how far back, the hundreds. And it's two muscular wrestlers. One has the other by the waist, and the, the fellow whose waist is being grabbed by the man, the strong man on the ground, his legs are standing high in the air, and they're on a precipice. One wrestler is about to throw the other wrestler off this cliff. Obviously, he's going to win. Oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. The wrestler who's being held and his legs are up in the air and he's about to be thrown over the cliff has his right hand tightly grasping the wrestler on the ground's vital parts. So if the big guy on on top or the big guy on the bottom throws the maybe smaller guy on top over the cliff. The crown jewels are going with him. So there has to be a hesitation on what's being done here. If the federal reserve is found out to be what it is throughout the world, 
I have a concern for my country. Federal Reserve is the ninth wonder of the world. I don't give a shit how many people say, oh, it's this, it's that, it's got to be, it may be all of those things. It needs to be reformed to be able to go forward safely. If the nations of the world were to disassemble working with the dollar overnight, the country would be in shambles. Because a performance bond is a bond that was designed to be designed for failure by these Zionists. The margin account of the 1920s was designed to fail, and it did, and it caused the depression. Or if you want to, you call it a deception. The margin account failed. It caused the sell-off, an indiscriminate sell-off of the star markets, and it caused the default of United States debt in 1929. And it wasn't just here. It was all over the world. That was planned by Rothschild. Mm -hmm. And the gold and silver certificates that had been issued were brought back in by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in March of 1933 during the banking holiday. He shut the banks down, remember? Mm -hmm. The history? Yep. And when everybody was screaming because they couldn't get gasoline, they couldn't get milk for their children, they couldn't get this, they couldn't get that, the average Joe had no money in his pocket, and they had their money in the bank, and the banks were closed. And they were screaming and crying, and the pain was horrible throughout the country. Roosevelt came back, and he says, okay, we're going to open the banks. We'll open them for you, but you're going to have to cooperate with us. We want you to bring all of your gold to the banks. Oh, and um, by the way, um, we want you to bring all of your gold and silver certificates with you. That was the prize. The gold and silver was truly a prize, but the gold and silver certificates were the bigger prize. So in 1928-29, when Roosevelt, well, it's 19, not to get what he closed the banks, I guess it was 29, when he closed the banks, that was, no, it was 33 when he closed the banks, the bank holiday, the big bank holiday, the goal was to get all of the gold and silver certificates. A certificate, another definition of the word certificate is evidence of a debt, and the debt was from the bank or from the government to the bank, from the bank to you to give you gold for the paper you had in your hand. And when Rothschild finally put the rules, the regulations, into the Federal Reserve in December of 33, December of 13, I beg your pardon, they had planned in 13 for the crash. They had, they had planned for what's often called a bankruptcy. It never was a bankruptcy. It took me years to overcome that. It was a default. We couldn't pay our debts. We needed to get all of those certificates. If I was on the Rothschild side of the equation, we need to get all those certificates. He told our government, this is what you need to do. And we're going to show you how to do it. We're going to get you, we're going to save you. Because you haven't got money to pay all your debts over here in Europe and elsewhere, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, all those debts were artificially created. So what they did is they forced the public by nature of closing the banks for four days in March of 33, they forced the public to bring all of their gold and silver certificates into the banks 
and they got brand new shiny performance bonds, a performance bond designed to fail. The performance bond was known then and still is today as the Federal Reserve note. That is what's hanging out in future for us. We put Band-Aids on it. Every time we reach an edge, a time that's collapsing, it's this, it's that. We have a lot of good people go to Congress, and they put a Band-Aid here, and another Band-Aid, another Band-Aid, another Band-Aid, another Band-Aid. And today we're borrowing money just to pay the interest on our debt. Mm-hmm. And nobody talks about the most important aspect of our debt. Nobody. Right. There's two, we have two kinds of debt. We have two kinds of debt that the Federal Reserve issues Federal Reserve notes towards. Internal debt and external debt. Internal debt is eminently curable and fixable and maintainable and controllable. Internal debt is money we owe to ourselves, our government, our people, and it can be traded back and forth and around safely. External debt is where we are at risk, and that's money that's borrowed from foreign nations. Chinese own $2 trillion of our debt. They don't dare force a hand because they'll go down like we would. Russia, same thing. That's why the BRICS nations have gotten together. They're going to use gold against us. India, South Africa, Russia, China. No, no, they're not. That's all a waste of time. But it's a pain. It's just another pain. Illegal immigration. What a wonderful tool to cause debt. You've got to understand, we're under attack. And it's not by guns, knives, bullets, cannons, airplanes. It's not, it's not even the people. It's people coming across our borders. It's mental illness. Every mentally ill person in the country costs the state that it lives in approximately $1,000 a month. Ooh, that's bad. No, it costs the federal government another 1000 So that mentally ill person is $2,000 a month. If you go to the 10th, Protocol of War, the tenth, Rothschild's 10th Protocol of War. I'll give you a quotation. And if we should be close to being discovered, we will distract them with starvation, division. We will, and here it is, word for word, we will inoculate them with diseases. That's Rothschild's words in 1897 in his 10th lecture in Basel, Switzerland in August of that year. So they are not the protocols of the learned elders of Zion. Those are the Rothschild protocols of war. No guns, no uniforms, no planes, no bullets. Lawyers, judges, bankers, note makers. Those are the weapons of debt that we face, and nobody pays attention. No one's watching any of it. And it's a, a sinister confederacy amongst the Jews that they're, well, they're beautifully hidden amongst the Jews, so you can't even go and start talking about them without being accused of anti-Semitism. Right. JFK issued U.S. notes. He did. Yeah, he did. He did do that. He did that in um, June '63. Yeah, June of '63. Executive Order one 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 zero one. He issued four point five 
billion dollars worth of U.S. notes. Mm-hmm. I have a couple. Yeah, I have a couple too. And if no, you listen to people, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Then I'll go ahead. If you listen to people that are supposedly knowledgeable about this, they'll say, "Oh, well, he didn't do anything to hurt the Federal Reserve." Uh, he was actually assisting the Federal Reserve when he did that, which is a lie. And I'm yeah. trying to think of that stupid lawyer, uh, Beecraft, Larry Beecraft. You know of him, Fred. Yep, yep. Larry Beecraft will get out there. He'll talk like one of your friends. He's a jerk and a half. He's a total jerk. And I still believe he's a plan. And he takes names. All he does is take names and point so the Department of Justice can go after people. I think he's on the inside and he's being paid to do. He's a useless idiot. He's a fool. Okay. Uh, Patrick, what about the Bolshevik Revolution? Lenin and Trotsky were Jews. A lot of Jews from the United States went over to Russia for the Bolshevik Revolution. They killed 66 million Christians. They uh, killed 80% of the priests, destroyed 80% of the churches. You know, well... And how much money did the did the Rothschilds steal from Russia? Well, I, I, that I don't know. Um, they got uh, they got the Bush family and uh, Avril Harriman, and they formed, or at least a bank was formed called the Union Bank in New York. And uh, uh, the the Bush family, uh, Prescott George Prescott Bush and Avril Harriman, had one percent of the bank. Uh, and they were they were told that if they could get this $300 million to Hitler, uh, Hitler was going to protect them. And that was one of the that's one of the anomalies in all of this is that Rothschild engineered the funding of Hitler at the front end of the war, of World War II, which was right. a, a war that brought a lot of good to Rothschild in, in control. Because Rothschild works on division and confusion as well as the, the performance bonds, the failing performance bonds. So as long as you can divide a government and keep people separated like they have over the years now, they've made political correct speech this. Uh, you know, all, all of this is meant to divide us. All of it's meant to divide us. They're doing a wonderful job. And we, we need our agencies back. I believe our agencies have flipped over. And I'm telling you, our agencies are not controlled by Jews. They're controlled by people who are controlled by the belief that something a Jew said to three levels behind them has the power to guide the process. It's a, it's a brilliantly controlled circumstance, set of circumstances. You cannot point the finger. You can point the finger at very few of them. Adam Schiff, I believe Adam Schiff and Erwin Schiff were connected. Okay? Erwin Schiff, we know, died in jail because he was a proponent of not paying the income tax. Okay? I think Erwin Schiff knew a lot more, but Erwin Schiff had a job. He was a soldier. He was in the infantry. He was in the infantry. So he goes to jail and he dies in jail. So he got shot. He just did, he did die differently, that's all. And that's the way these people come to the table. You got, uh, what was his name, uh, Russo? Uh, what was Russo? Aaron Russo. Aaron, Aaron Russo. Aaron. Aaron Russo was a Jew. He wasn't just an Italian. He was an Italian Jew. And he was just like the Jew that killed, <coughs> who, was the, <coughs> who was the alleged murderer of Kennedy? The Jew. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah, right. No, that was Lincoln. 
Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby showed up and he shot what's his name in the gut and killed him. Well, Jack Ruby was terminal. He was dying. He only had three months to live when he killed the guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Aaron Russo only had three months to go or a year to go. He was dying when he came up with the film. Aaron Russo is one of the members of the syndicate. Okay. Rod Rosenstein, a Republican, went and created the special prosecutor. Rod Rosenstein, there was a difficulty there. He's a Jew. He stood out. He had to touch the decisions. Adam Schiff is a Jew. He's in the middle of it. He's touching decisions. Chuck Schumer is a Jew. He's touching the decisions. Jerry Nadler is a Jew, too. He's a Jew. He's touching decisions. They are on, on a full court press to get Trump out. In a strange way, their socialist leanings, their far left attributes, if you will, are starting to destroy the, the Democrat Party. So we are in an interesting vortex that is not totally controlled by Rothschild. Normally, they're thought out better than they are. Currently, I don't think they're as thought out as well as they could be. But they have another year and a half, two years. So one of the worst things you can do is underestimate them. They've got centuries involved here. And they haven't yet been outed. Nobody knows about who they are. No one knows there's a coordinated effort taking place. And, and every, anyone would say, well, well geez, look at this guy. He's, he's an Irish Catholic. Oh, look at this guy. They're Italians. They're yeah, but they're motivated by people in the background you don't even see. Yeah. Hey, Patrick, the Catholic Church has been hit really hard since the McCarrick um, exposure last June, and he was defrocked, he laid aside. What's going to happen with the Catholic Church and, and the current Pope? In, in the 24 lectures of the uh, learned elders of Zion, there is a, a lecture, and I forget the number of it, where they will bore their way to the heart of the church and not come out till it's fully destroyed. Well, child pedophilia was a church problem from way back, and they knew it would be the soft, would be the soft underbelly because, um, you know, celibacy is, is no fun. As, as long as this poison called testosterone is around, celibacy is no fun at all. You do know about the monk in the in the Spanish uh, monastery. He came down screaming with joy. Back about six or seven years ago, he came down screaming with joy and simultaneously crying. And they said, "Well, calm down, Father. Father, what's the problem? What's the problem?" He said, "Look, look at the translation. It was a mistake. It was a mistake made thousands of years ago." And they're saying, "What's the mistake? What's the mistake?" He said, "Celibate." celibate it was misspelled it was supposed to be celebrate (laughs) so when you understand that celibacy was there and testosterone is a common chemical from males Rothschild uses that and has used it for a long time against his biggest enemy and he makes it clear in these in these lectures that the Catholic Church is the greatest enemy that he suffers from or could suffer from. And when you research the uh, child uh, molestations, you wind up with the parish or the archdiocese in Boston. Now, experiences being what they are and never forgetting them, 
I had I had a lot of Jews that were clients of mine, good good people, hardworking people, smart people. And I had a, a bid. I had a company that sold folding chairs. Actually, no, they weren't folding chairs. They were um, plastic stacking chairs, and they were like 40 bucks a piece. And we used to sell them by the hundreds. Every once in a while, we'd get an order in for two or 3,000 of them at one shot. And um, I got a request in from uh, Rockville Center, the Archdiocese of Rockville Center, for 2,500 of these things. They use them in their bingo halls, and, you know, wherever the, a lot of people got together. Um, and I get a call from Henry, who is a Jew, and he runs a, uh, a dealership down in Manhattan at that time on Pearl Street, there's Pearl Desk. And I get down, Henry says, I want a quote from you on, on the 2,000 chairs for the Archdiocese of uh, Rockville Center. So I said, well, I'm selling those direct. He says, I don't care. He says, I want a quote. I said, what do you mean? He says, I want a quote and I want a better price. I'm your customer. They're a direct buyer. I spoke to the factory, the factory went along with it. And in the course of the conversations back and forth, Henry got the order. Henry says to me, he says, we will never lose business to the Catholic Church. I looked at him. I said, what? Now, this is when I was nobody doing nothing except what I did in those days. But it, it was one of those little nuggets that never leaves your brain. He says, if we have a bid at the Catholic Church, and I don't care if it's a law firm, we'll be $60 an hour when everybody else is $100 an hour. We'll be $37 a chair when everybody else is $40 a chair. He says, I count on the church, on the business from the archdiocese. Well, in that statement, he gave me the lead that I, was, that I found necessary, that you had the law firms in Boston advising the archdiocese, and every time a pedophilia a victim was uncovered and a deal was made, they told the church, no, don't punish the priest. Send them to the paraclete. Well, what's the paraclete? The paraclete was a Catholic church. It is a Catholic church out in um, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Not Santa Fe, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. A lot of Indian boys out there. Reservations. And that probably took place every, every place that there were violations. And if you had a Jewish law firm giving advice, they were giving advice to sustain the problem, not to correct the problem. And the problem is now exploding, but I see the problem also probably going away. Because you've got this Pope in here, and he's going to square it away. Unless they come down on him, bring out some kids that claim that he did to them what he's saying, other priests and McCarrick did to the, the, the kids in their control at that time. So the Catholic Church has been branded in the protocols with specificity as being the major, major enemy of Rothschild and Rothschild's plans. So much so that I can go into other aspects of this, but that's just too long a story. And it gets very esoteric relative yeah. to who the Jews really might be and are. You know, in, in the book, in John, in Bible, you'll find the term, um, Satan is thy father. I haven't ever been, ever been able to figure that out. Why were those words? Why are those words in the Bible about the Jews? Satan is thy father. Did you know that, Fred? Yeah, yeah, I, I, okay. I, 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 I've come across that. Yep, I think we all have. And I, 
I don't and know. I, I don't. I don't know if it was Jew originally because that word was not in the original Bible. When you go back, the word Jew couldn't have ever been there. It had to be somebody else. So that's that's yet another mystery that I didn't think of till right now. <laughs> Any more questions? A couple more questions, then we're going to wrap it up, guys. Go ahead. Anybody? Okay, I got I got one question, Fred. Another one. Hey, uh, Patrick. Uh, in my studies, the Rothschilds were behind the Civil War, and the Rothschilds had Lincoln killed, and John Wilkes Booth was a Jew. I don't know if John Wilkes Booth was a Jew, but if John Wilkes Booth killed him, he allegedly died in Salina, India in the late 1800s. He didn't die. Yeah. Well, you, you yeah, know, Lincoln, right. went, Lincoln went to New York bankers. They wanted to give 33% interest, so Lincoln financed the war by the government issue of the money, and that's why the Rothschilds killed him. And then when it, when they, right after the war they took uh, the Rothschilds took all the Lincoln money out of circulation. Well, I, I don't know about those details, but the the you can track August Schoenberg in as the progenitor of the Civil War. He came here in 1837, and uh, he made a small fortune on the stock market right away. So he had operating capital. And he changed his name to August Belmont. He was a horseman in Belmont Racetrack right. in New York. He named after Belmont, August Belmont. But right. yes, the Civil War seems to have been created, and Russia actually bailed our ass out of it. Yeah. And Jackson, remember Jackson said he killed the bank. He was famous. Well, that was, yeah, I, I never got into too much research around Jackson. Yeah, well, his, his famous saying is, I killed the bank, which was the Rothschild Bank. I think it's well, on his gravestone, Sam. It's on his gravestone, I believe. Say that again? I believe the phrase, I killed the bank, is on his gravestone by his request. Oh, on the Andrew yep. Jackson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a question, Patrick. This is Joe. Do you believe yep. that the Rothschilds are on the top and there's nobody above them? Uh, You know, that's a very, very good question, and um, I'm going to suggest that they are. I don't believe there's anybody else, and um, I think they probably spend a fair amount of capital, both a, a, uh, oh, not just money capital, but other capital, trying to convince those people that they're in harmony with that they are not on top that they have people they respond to. Uh, but I think ultimately they are. I mean, take a, take a look. Let me throw in another little thing here. We have a World Conservation Bank, okay? Um, and the World Conservation Bank is ultimately going to be controlled by Rothschilds. World Conservation Bank, I will predict, if not already, but soon to be, will be a dealer in carbon credits. And that's why climate control and climate uh, change has got such an impact. Now, I know that, and you know, what we do as a human being, so far as our fossil fuels and everything else, has to have an impact on our atmosphere. But climate change, um, valid or not, is going to cause the transfer of carbon credits in amounts of money so that more and more land will be owned by governments. Now, does anybody here understand how much physical dirt in the United States is owned by the federal government? Yep. The state of the it's, it's, in, some, 
In some states, it's 70 and 80%. Right. Mm -hmm. Watch the next statement. If the federal government is bankrupt, I am the creditor. I have now got ownership of everything that the federal government owns, don't I? Mm -hmm. Our country is being taken over, not in the form of just debt, but physical ownership. And it's far worse than you can imagine. Nobody's checking the store. Nobody's keeping count. Fascinating. Do you, do you think of any type of solutions, I mean, for how do we get out of this? Yeah, yeah and that's too, long, that's too long an answer to once I open that door, that's too long a discussion. Hey guys, uh, uh, we have a special guest next week. Uh, uh, just stay tuned. Uh, you may want to research this, but I guess there's a whole intrigue with the Zionist movement uh, attacking Poland for not only reparations, but circling the wagons around a specific strategic piece of land that could be used as a as, as leverage uh, should the homeland or to claim to be the homeland of Israel disappear. And there's a whole movement to resettle uh, uh, in, in in Poland actually to take the land. And our guest next week will be talking about that. It's all real stuff, real research. What's the guest's name, friend? Her name is Eva. She's from Poland. Uh, I, can't, I can't give out the vulture last name without her consent right now. Maybe she'll okay. uh, disclose the whole thing next week. But we'll like you're it. saying the, the Zionists are trying to take over a piece of property in Poland? A piece of major piece of property in Poland, exactly. And the basis of their takeover is on what? I think they... They know that the, the game in the Middle East is running, uh, it's on thin ice right now, or at least that's the, that's the feeling. And they, they...
step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.